0: Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. Since the beginning of the year, we have been in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And we've been looking at Matthew entitled this entire series, Come and Meet Your King. Because what we're wanting to do through the ministry of the Word at Oxford Baptist Church is so that we can see the portrait of our master, the portrait of our God, who has come to blaze a trail to be the light of the world, to come to us who were in deep darkness so that he could be our salvation. This Savior has come through the covenant of his own blood, made a new people for himself. Now those new people are called the church. So we've been looking in Matthew chapter 5, and today, if you have your Bible, I invite you to join me. We've made it all the way to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at the last few verses in Matthew chapter 5 today, verses 43 through 48. But all along the way, we have been given through Matthew 5, through the Beatitudes, through the Sermon on the Mount so far, this wonderful statement of who Jesus is as well as who He is desiring us to be. And remember this. We're the people who are formed by His blood. That doesn't necessarily just mean the blood of the cross, although that's the way that we were formed, through His shedding of His blood on the cross for our sins. His blood means that we are formed in His life. And so whoever He is, is who He is making us to be. And we call who we are the church. The church are those people who have been entrusted with the gospel, Because they themselves have trusted the gospel. Now think about that for just a moment. Gospel. We're those people who are being formed by the gospel. Think about that for just a moment. In a world that's full of bad news, God has given a certain group of people in the earth, called the church, some really good news. And that good news is good news for everyone. You see, this the great news is this. It, a God of infinite majesty, who there is no comparison with. You can't liken Him to anything or anyone on this earth. A God that we turn from, a God that we forsook, a God that we ran away from in our own sinfulness, This God, who is infinitely holy, who is infinitely majestic, who is altogether lovely and great, when we forsook Him, He came seeking and saving lost ones. Lost ones, murderers, thieves, adulterers, addicts, those who are depressed, those who are discouraged, Those who are without any hope, those who are hurting, those who are lonely, those who are idolaters, you know, you and me, God has come, God's holiness has been infinitely transgressed, and yet He has a word for His enemies, and the word that God has for His enemies is forgiveness. The word that God has for a people that forsook Him, that turned their back on Him, that ran in the opposite direction of Him is forgiveness. Now this is great news. This is great, infinitely good news. And by that I mean that not only is it great news, but this news, if you receive this news of forgiveness by faith, it lasts for forever. Now how many of you here this morning would like to be forgiven forever? How many of you this morning would like to be forgiven for all eternity? How many of you this morning would like to have the love of God overshadow you forever? There is an alternative. You can either be forgiven or you can be the recipients of God's wrath. Recipients of the abhorrence of God. Recipients of the hatred of God forever. You say, what's the difference between the two? It's real simple. The difference between the two is the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Think about when Paul said that. That's Romans. We're well after Matthew. Paul says that in Romans after the cross of Christ. And it's after the cross of Christ, after salvation had been secured, after forgiveness had been secured, that Paul still understood that there is still wrath that is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Remember this. Never forget that the subject of God's love is the Son of God. Never forget that. The subject of God's love is the Son of God. And who is He? He is the spotless Lamb, the perfect Lamb of God, who died on a cruel cross for you and me. You see, it's at the cross of Christ that we see the justice and the mercy of God intersecting together. And you know what they show us in the cross of Christ? They show us the love of God on display. And so when we say God loves you, what are we doing? We're calling men, and when we understand that God loves us, we understand that God has called us to forsake wrath, His wrath, and embrace forgiveness. If you do not embrace God's love displayed through the cross, then you get the cross instead of the Son. Or You can embrace the forgiveness of God and get the Son instead of the cross. That is, you get the judgment without the one who took the judgment for you. And I don't know about you, but I don't want the judgment of God. I would rather have the one who took the judgment of God for me, who stretched out his hands, nail pierced hands, and says, Come unto me, and I will give you rest. Listen to me carefully. God has called us to love. God has called us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and even now God is calling us to be forgiven. God has given his people, he's given the church those who by faith have received him, those who have received his forgiveness. He's given the church a wonderful message, this Wonderful proclamation to go out and to tell everyone the message of salvation in Jesus' name. And we proclaim that message until He comes or He calls us home. That's the one thing that we're supposed to do in our life. Live our lives in one direction to make it our ambition to know Him and so that others may know Him. You see, God has left us, as Matthew's told us. He has left us in the world so that our lives would be lived as salt and light in a world that's darkened, in a world that's dying, in a world that's decaying. And one of the most difficult callings, listen carefully to me this morning, one of the most difficult callings that he has called us to, one of the most difficult callings that the church has is found at the end of Matthew chapter 5. Let's read it together. Hear the word of the Lord, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We're grateful that you've called us to this moment. Lord, we can see the summit before us. You're calling us today to love our enemies. So I pray that today, through your word, you would teach us what you mean when you tell us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let's be honest today. After what we've already seen in verses 38 through 42, now we're smacked with this other thing that our Lord has for us. He tells us not to retaliate, and then he tells us to love our enemies. And let's just be clear about this. It's one thing not to retaliate. But it's another thing to love your enemies. It's one thing not to retaliate. It's another thing to pray for those who persecute you. But, here's the mystery. When we do that, in some mysterious way, we show our family resemblance. We show the world that we resemble our Father who's in heaven. Look at verse 45. And look at verse 48. I want to highlight this for you. Look at 45. It says, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Do you see that? So that, therefore... So in other words, the so that is it's like an equal sign. God's telling us one thing to do, so that. Here's the result. He tells us to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and when you do that, so that, verse 45, you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now, skip down to verse 48. What's God say? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I think that verse 48 is a summary of the entire Sermon on the Mount. And I intend, after we get finished with chapter 7, to come back. And I'm going to preach a whole sermon on the Sermon on the Mount just on verse 48. But until then, I think that God wants us to see something this morning. And what I think He wants us to see is how intricately tied together our forgiving others is and our resembling the Father are tied together and they go hand in hand. That is how forgiveness and loving one another is tied intricately to who God is. And God's going to say this again and again and again and again. He's going to tell us to forgive. He's going to tell us to love our enemies. He's going to tell us to be forgiving so that we will get it. He keeps saying things because He knows our hearts are hard and He knows that this is hard for us to do. He wants us to get it so He keeps on saying it so that we will live in light of what He said so that we will experience forgiveness ourselves as well as so that we will be forgiven. Thinking about verse 45, so that you'll be sons of your Father in heaven. And verse 48, you therefore be perfect just as your Father is perfect. What I want to do today from this text is I want to talk to you about resembling God. Remember what Jesus said to His disciples. Remember this. He said the world will know that they are His as He's facing the cross in John 17. He says the world are going to know that you are mine by the way that you love one another. Now listen, I know that Jesus was talking about us loving one another in the church and I think that we should love one another in the church, but that love that we have for one another should spill over into our love for those who are lost in the world. I said that pointedly and purposefully. Love for those who are lost in the world. Not a love for the world, but a love for those who are lost in the world. We love those who are the vile offenders of God. We love those who are those who have aligned themselves with all the evils of hell. We love them, and we love them for a reason, because when we love them, we resemble God. So number one this morning, if you're taking notes, Our God is a God of love. That's a pretty good point. That's a great point for us to say that that is a part of our Christian confession. And we love the fact that our God is a God of love. And aren't you glad this morning that we as believers in Christ, followers of God can stand and we can proclaim to the world that we have a God in heaven who is a God of love? who calls all men into relationship with Himself. There's not a God anywhere else like this God whom we can personally and intimately relate with. He has called us to love Him. Why? Because He is a God of love. Now, I want to ask you a question. Where do you think that we first get to see the love of God on display? What would you say? Where's that one point where we get to see first The love of God on display. Think about that. I believe that we get to see the love of God on display in the very beginning. As out of His own free choice. Not because He had to. But because He chose to. God chose to lovingly create a world and make Himself known to us through revelation. That is... When did God first display His love so that we would know He's always been love? If there's one essential attribute that we can say is what God is, First John tells us God is love. How did we know that He's a God of love? Well, He created us. He expressed His love. And why did God create? Have you ever wondered why God created? There's really one answer that will do And I know that the answer may not satisfy your hearts. It may leave you with a lot of other questions. It may not satisfy everyone's wanderings. But this is the best that I can do. I think that this is the best the Bible says that we can do. The reason that God created is just simply because He wanted to. He wanted to. God created because He wanted to. It wasn't out of some necessity that he's up there saying, man, I sure am lonely. No, he has the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, three persons, one God. It's not as if he's lonely up in heaven. It's not as if he's saying, man, you know, I need somebody to praise me. I'm getting a little low on my praise meter over here. I need to create someone, somebody who's going to pray. No, it's not any of that. He has everything that he needs in and of himself. He chooses to create for one reason, his choice. He wanted to create and... God lovingly and graciously chose to create, to bring us into existence, not out of any necessity, but simply because of reasons known to Him. He wanted to. This is the way that one of the first readers of the Scriptures understood this. There was a guy, especially one of my favorite guys from church history named Athanasius, and he referred to God lovingly creating the world out of His free choice as something called philanthropia. Now, that's a Greek word. It sort of sounds Greek, doesn't it? Philanthropia. But you can hear a word there that we recognize. One of the roots is philanthropy. Now, what is it if someone engages in philanthropic endeavor? What do we say? If they're engaging in philanthropy, what are they doing? They are being generous. And I can't think of anything more generous than God choosing to create the world out of nothing. I don't know about you, but I sure am glad He created aren't you? But listen. He created, He didn't just spin things up and forget about the world. That's deism. He didn't just set things in order and then remove Himself from the world. That's not theism. That's deism. He created us with a capacity to relate to Him. He created you. Listen carefully to me this morning. He created all men so that they could enjoy fellowship with Him. Think about that. You and I, we are finite beings. We are created beings. We in some way because of the way that He's created us, we get to participate in His very life. How do you, who did not exist for all time, but existed in one time, get to relate to and share in the life of someone who has existed for all time, who's above time? How do you get to do that? Well, in some way, God lovingly bestowed that on every person. In other words... You were created this morning for a purpose, for a reason, and that is so that you may know God. And I believe as a Bible preacher, every person on the earth has this capacity. I believe every person on the earth has the capacity for relating with God. And the reason that I believe that is because every person is made in the image of God. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that everyone is in relationship with God, but it means that everyone has the capacity for relating with God. Let's think about just a moment about the way that we relate to God. How do we enter that relationship with God? The way that we enter a relationship with God is through repentance. Now, what is repentance? Repentance is a turning from and a turning towards. Turning from self and sin and turning towards the Son, Jesus. And I think that that one fact of repentance, when God calls us to Himself away from darkness into life, this teaches us a great deal about the love of our God. This teaches that though God loves all, listen carefully to me, though God loves all, His love for all is not the same. Let me say that again. Though God loves all, His love for all is not the same. We have a message to the world. And that message to the world is the love of God. But what on earth do we mean when we say, we go up to someone and we say that God loves you? Does that mean that God loves everyone the same? I want you to think real hard before you answer. Think real hard and be precise this morning. We're, we're being precise this morning, and I want us to be precise because the Bible calls us to be precise. Precision matters. I mean, we're only dealing with something like eternity here. This is more important than brain surgery. You want your surgeon to be precise. If you go in for brain surgery, you don't want him to nip something and tuck something that you didn't mean to be nipped and tucked. You want precision when it comes to matters of eternity. We know that God's a pre- God of precision because He created only one way to salvation and given only one name of the heaven by which men must be saved. So precision matters. So, does God love everyone the same? And I think we get confused with the question in the way that we talk about God. For example, another question that may help us. If I were to come up to you and ask, Is God the Father of all What would be the right answer? Look at the text in verse 45. Don't just come up with an answer on your own mind. Look at the Bible. See what it says. Look at verse 45. So that you may be sons of who? Your Father. Your Father. The fatherhood of God is a privilege given to us in our adoptions as sons and daughters through the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ write this in your margin it's not up here on the screen if you want to learn more about that read hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 through 15 but listen to what the bible says to make it even more clear in john chapter 1 and i want you to understand this that us calling god father is a privilege that god has given us to those who know and love him listen to what john says to all who did receive him who believed in his name aren't right, you see there's the standards "...to all who did receive Him, those who believed in His name." Now, look at this next phrase. Don't miss this. "...He has given the right to become children of God." Those, by the way, are those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? God is the Creator of all. Every man is made in His image. We have to hold these things true. He's the Creator of all. Every man is made with a capacity for relating for Him. But listen, not every man does, nor will every man have a relationship with God. And I don't say that flippantly. Understand that. The fact that not every man will have a relationship, not every woman will have a relationship with God, is a sobering reality. A reality of eternity that comes to bear on the way that we treat everyone. Because we know that every person is made in the image of God and has the capacity for relating with God. And because we know that not every man will come to know God. Not everyone will call Him Father. We treat men differently. The idea or the weight of eternity crushes us as we go out and this is why we have to take evangelism seriously this is why we have to take the call to love God seriously because there is an eternity and eternity matters let's think about this a little further listen to Jesus's prayer as he's in the garden he's facing the cross he's facing the cruel cross where he will die for the sins of the world and he will make the way of salvation through the shedding of His own blood, opening the curtain of His flesh so that we can see the glory of God. Think about this for just a moment as He's praying in the garden. What's He pray? John chapter 17, verse 9. Write that down. John 17, 9. Listen to what Jesus says. I am praying for them. He's talking about His disciples. I am not... Listen to this. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Does God love everyone the same? God does not love everyone the same. Listen carefully. I didn't say that God didn't love everyone. I said that God doesn't love everyone the same. God does not love everyone the same. He loves those who reject Him one way and He loves those who are His in a different way. What's the difference? With one, the wrath of God remains forever. With the other, the satisfaction of God is on them for eternity. And so how does God love His enemies? Does God love His enemies? Oh yeah, He sure does. How does He love His enemies? Look at the text. Look at verse 45. What does God do? He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Do you see that in verse 45? What's He do? He makes His sun rise on evil and the good, and He sends rain on the just and the unjust. You know why He does that? So that the just can enjoy His bounty, and so the unjust can see His kindness towards them and be moved to repentance. You see, listen to me carefully. God is mainly concerned about one thing above all things. And you know what He's concerned about above all things? The glory of His name. Because He knows that there is nothing greater. There is no one higher. There is no one greater than Him. And so what's the one thing that He is concerned most about? And that is Himself. And He's God. I can't be concerned about myself. You call me selfish. You call me self-centered. God can be concerned about Himself because there is no one higher, there is no one greater. So what does He do? He sees a world filled full of darkness, and so what does He do? He sends rain on the just and the unjust so that the just can look at the rain that comes on the crops and say, thank you, Lord, for filling the rivers, so that we can have water to drink. Thank you, God, that, by the way, Georgia's is not in a drought this year. Praise God for that. We're not experiencing those things now. Lake Lanier is up to full pool, and so is, uh, West Point Lake and all the rest of them. Alatoona's up. We're thankful for those things. And so we, as the people of God, get to go out on the lake and say, thank the Lord for this water. The unjust, they get to go out on the lake too. And you know what? They're looking around thinking, where's all this water come from? And then we're there to meet them as we pass by them on our pontoon boats or whatever, speedboat, jet ski, whatever tube you got. And we say, hey, there's one reason why this lake is full. You know why? Because there's a God in heaven who sends the rain. He sends the rain so that we can be thankful. Those who know Him can say, thank God for the rain. And so the unjust can look at the rain and say, man, where did this come from? It's the kindness of God on sinners to lead them somewhere. And where is that? That He's wanting to lead them. Repentance. Listen to Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance. Now listen carefully. Look at that phrase. Not knowing that the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance. Now here's the thing. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 is written. Do they know that the kindness of God is meant to lead them to repentance? Not unless somebody tells them. Not unless someone goes and tells them. Hey, you're receiving this rain just like I'm receiving this rain so that the kindness of God will lead you to repentance. And so we go to them and we say that today is the day of salvation. As long as you hear God's voice, today is the day to turn to Him. What's God doing all over the world? He is graciously giving men and women, boys and girls, space to repent and come him. That's what he's doing. Whenever will never forget in Greek class at Southeastern Seminary, I had a man who was on the editorial board of the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Great man from Atlanta, Georgia. His name is Dr. David Lanier. I had him in my pulpit while I was a pastor in Raleigh. I had him come and preach because I saw this man. He was a gracious man. He wanted us to write down who we were and the top needs that we had for prayer And every day before class would start, he'd have a prayer. We'd take prayer requests before the Greek class started, and everybody needed prayer before Greek class started. And so we were glad that that was a great way for him to to start the class. But I won't ever forget, Dr. David Lanier, someone would say, could you please pray for this person? They had a surgery, whatever the case may be, just like we do things here, you know, we pray for those things. And then Dr. David Lanier would ask a question. He'd look over his glasses as he's sitting behind the lectern, and he'd look and he'd say, is this person a believer? Sometimes the answer was yes. Sometimes the answer was no. And for those who were no, I'd watch him start writing their names. And then when he would pray, he would pray a certain way. Lord, bless this person. Heal their body so that they will have space to repent. Show them your kindness so that your kindness will lead them to repentance because He is a God who wishes all all men to be saved. And so He sends rain on the just and the unjust. And so we are commanded from Scripture not to presume on His riches, but to let His kindness lead us to repentance. Listen to me carefully today. There is coming a day when there will be no more rain. There is coming a day when those who are the enemies of God will no longer have a chance to repent. This whole idea that you can repent when you want to is false. This whole idea that you can come to Jesus on your own terms, there's nothing further from the truth. You come to Him on His terms or you won't come to Him at all. We used to sing about it. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, sick and ransomed by the fall. If you wait till you are able, you will never come at all. So this is what we pray. You can't come to God on your own terms. You come to God on His terms because one day His patience will run out. He will reach the limit of His patience. As strange and mysterious as that will be, but it will run out and there will no longer be salvation for you. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. I heard this the other day and I agree. The more I think about it, the more apt I am to agree with it, James Montgomery Boyce, he once said this about Judgment Day, God's judgment in the end will be so absolutely perfect that even the damned will agree with the rightness of their damnation. In the end, on the Judgment Day, the judgment of God will be so absolutely perfect that even the damned will agree with the rightness of their But until then, listen carefully, until then, God makes His Son rise on evil and good. And He sends rain on the just and the unjust. And He calls us to do the same. We who know Him, He calls us to do the same. What do we do? We go to the lost and we say, what a beautiful day it is. Today. If you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. Number two this morning. Our God calls us, you and me, who are the recipients of His love, He calls us to display His love. And let's just be real honest, alright? Look at the Bible. Let's just think just for a minute. This right here. I'm not going to put a gloss over this and say that this is easy. There is real evil in the world. But there is a God who is greater than any evil. This is one of the toughest parts of being a follower of Jesus. Where we are called to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. How in the world are we called to love them? I think we love them and Jesus has told us Loving them and praying for them, they go hand in hand. Why? Because in our loving them, we are loving them the way of God loves His enemies. And how does God love His enemies? He sends rain on the just and the unjust, but He has an ulterior motive in, in mind. And you know what it is? It's their good and His glory. And there is nothing good apart from His glory. What's the best thing that your neighbor who's without Christ needs? He doesn't need you to cut His grass. He doesn't need you to water His lawn. He doesn't need you to do anything other than you may water his, his grass, you may cut His lawn and all the rest, but He needs you to show Him Jesus. That's what He needs. She needs you in the hospital who's broken at the death of her loved one. She needs you not to just be a shoulder to cry on. She needs you to show her there is an eternity that awaits every man. And so knowing that today's the day of salvation, knowing the grace of God, knowing the coming judgment of God, we persuade all men and call them to be reconciled to God. So how does God love His enemies? What He do? He calls them to repent. That's what we have to do. Listen to this quote by John Stott. Listen to it. This is so jam-packed. I wanted to share it all. The truth is, evil men should be the object simultaneously of our love and our hatred. Listen closely. As they are simultaneously the objects of God's, although His hatred is expressed in His wrath. To love them is ardently to desire that they will repent and believe and so be saved. To hate them is to desire with equal ardor that if they stubbornly refuse to repent and believe, they will incur God's judgment. So how do we love? Listen carefully. How do we love? We love others in such a way that we live our lives on display to them. As the love of God. There's a verse in Romans. I think Paul captures this attitude. He's talking about his fellow Jews. His own kindred. And he has the audacity to say something. I wish myself accursed if it meant that they would come to know Jesus. Could you say that? You would give up your eternal position with God so that someone else would have an eternal position with God? Now, thankfully, we don't have to do that, right? That question is a, is a nonsensical question. And Here's the reality. The reality for us is that there is a God who gave up in some mysterious fashion. The Bible says He did not account equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but He emptied Himself, taking the form of a servant. You know what that means? He came to become sin. He gave Himself for us. Without ceasing to be what He was, He became came when He was not, so that we could enjoy Him forever. You know why we love others? There's only one reason why we love others. As Jesus tells us, it's easy to love those who love us. But, when we love our enemies, we resemble our Father the most. And here's the reason. The reason that we love them, we love people, even our worst enemy, is really one reason. And listen to it. I can't say it any better than Romans 5, so listen to it. For while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. Listen to this. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we had everything figured out, Not when we'd wave the white flag of surrender. While we were enemies of God, God came on a rescue mission behind enemy lines to deliver us from a highway to hell to this kingdom of holiness. He took us from the darkness. Gave us light. And see, this love that we have displayed for us infinitely and majestically through Jesus on the cross, this love of Christ is what compels us We who are the recipients of God's love express that love in the fiercest way that we know how. And what's the fiercest way that we can express that love? Loving our enemies. And praying for those who persecute us. As Jesus said, it's easy for us to love those who love us, but when we love our enemies, we resemble our Father the most. On June 17th of 2015, just two years ago, Members of the Manual African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, were gathered for a Wednesday evening prayer meeting. A guest came in from the streets, a white boy. They welcomed him, took him up front, prayed with him, and then he took out a gun and started firing at these Christians, killing nine members of the body of Christ who were gathered to pray for the nations. Nine members, including the pastor. And there was only one reason why he killed them. One reason. He was a white supremacist who hated black people. At his trial, the relatives of those who had killed, they were able to look at him and speak to him directly. And one by one, They all expressed the same message to him. I forgive you. Nadine Collider, the daughter of Miss Ethel, who was a 70-year-old victim, said to the killer as tears ran down her face, You took something very precious from me. I will never again talk with her. I will never again hold her. But I forgive you. And have mercy on your soul. What gave them the strength to forgive? Of all the messages, what compelled them to look into the face of a ruthless, stone-cold killer and say to his face, all this but I forgive you? You know why? They were the church. They'd been given a message from somewhere up above, not anything that they produced in their own selves, but they were the recipients of this message. They are those who have been formed and are being formed by the life of Jesus. And they remember that even as Jesus is dying on a cross, the cruel, agonizing brutality of an old, rugged cross, even that could not silence the prayers of his enemies as he looked and he said, "Father, forgive them." They know not what they here's the truth this morning. We were the ones who held the nails. We were the ones who had the hammer in our hands. We were the crowd that was calling for blood. We were those who hid from God in the garden. We were those who have denied Him with our lips, done things that we wish we hadn't done, seen things that we wish we hadn't seen, been places that we shouldn't have been, but He looked at us with His arms full and wide and He said a word to us. And you know what that word is? Forgiven. Forgiven. He has turned us from enemies to friends. He has turned us from slaves to sons. He has turned us from darkness to light. Forgiven. Forgiven. You see, our sin was great. Our trespassing against Him was great. But His love for us was greater. And forgiveness is the way we get to live because He's forgiven us. And the message that we have to the whole world is this forgiveness can be yours. And it's real simple. All you have to do is receive Him by faith. You have to come to a moment in time. He has forgiven you, but you have to come to Him. He has come to you, moved heaven and earth so that He could know you, so that you could know Him. But you have to come to Him. And you have to say, Lord, forgive me. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank You for forgiveness. Thank You for loving us. Thank you for giving us such a wonderful word where you've called us to do something that is impossible for us but entirely possible because Christ has opened the way. You have called us to forgive our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Father, is there one here today who needs to forgive someone? Father, is there one here today who needs the forgiveness of God because they know that right now they are in the wrath of God Right now, they are one breath away from spending an eternity without You. Spending an eternity in the wrath of God instead of embracing an eternity with the forgiveness of God on them. Would they be wise enough this morning to listen to the promptings of Your Holy Spirit and let them say in this moment, "Oh God, forgive me. Father, if they will pray and ask You for forgiveness, may they be assured in their hearts that You who offer forgiveness, the person who asked forgiveness, You will give it to them. So, Father, we come now during the time of our invitation. It's an opportunity for us as we sing and stand to respond. Father, for those who need to forgive someone, I pray that they would publicly respond by going to that person and forgiving them. Or if they can't go to that person... May they do something, move somewhere, either down front or to the left. Whatever they need to do, may they move. Father, for the one who has not received the forgiveness of God, but this morning prayed and asked for God's forgiveness, would they be bold enough to come and take the next step? And the next step is baptism. Would they come before the church publicly and declare that I am now forgiven and I want to show that as I identify with Christ through the waters of baptism? Father, whatever decision people need to make, I pray that you and your infinite power would give them the strength to make a decision for Jesus and not sit here cold and unmoved. Thank you for the rain today, a measure of your grace. Father, today, while it's today, you've given us an opportunity to respond to your love. May we take it. In Jesus' name. We pray God will use this message for his glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at oxfordbaptistchurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.